0: Welcome to the Improve the News Podcast for Wednesday, January 25th, 2023, where we separate the spin from the facts. I'm Scott Wallace.
1: And I'm Eric Steiner with a look at today's top stories. Classified documents are found in Mike Pence's home. The DOJ sues Google over ad dominance. Ukraine faces a string of sackings and resignations.
0: France repatriates 47 nationals from Syrian camps.
1: Burkina Faso's junta ends its military pact with France. South Africa hosts Russia's foreign minister. Turkey threatens to block Sweden's
0: NATO bid. The U.S. charges an ex-FBI agent with
1: violating Russian sanctions. Microsoft confirms a multi-billion dollar investment in OpenAI. And a new report finds U.S. COVID
0: unemployment fraud may have exceeded $60 billion.
1: In our top story, Pence turns in classified documents found in his home. And here are the facts as agreed upon by Reuters, Fox News, CNN, Associated Press, and ABC. Documents marked as classified were discovered at former U.S. Vice President Pence's home in Indiana last week which he has turned over to the FBI. Possession of classified documents has been a major story as both Donald Trump and Joe Biden are steeped in a controversy surrounding their handling of documents. Pence's attorney informed the National Archives that the former vice president had a small number of potentially classified documents on January 18th. The archives then informed the FBI who collected the documents on January 19th. Amid ongoing investigations into Trump and Biden's handling of classified documents, Pence asked his lawyer to conduct a search of his home for documents with classified markings. Pence had previously and repeatedly claimed he did not possess any classified documents. Pence's lawyer, Greg Jacob, wrote a letter on January 22nd confirming that the documents have been collected a total of four boxes containing Trump administration-era papers were discovered with a small number of papers bearing classified markings. Jacob added that materials may have been, quote, inadvertently boxed and transported to Pence's home, and the former vice president was unaware of their existence. Some analysts believe that Pence's discovery may ease the magnitude of the political fallout from Trump and Biden's handling of classified documents. Both are likely to run for office in 2024 and have been negatively impacted by the investigations into the issue. All right, on this program,
0: we separate the spin from the facts. Those were the facts. And here's our narrative spin, beginning with the Republican narrative from Fox News. Unlike President Biden, who was under investigation for mishandling classified documents from his tenure as vice president, Mike Pence has been transparent in how he has dealt with returning classified material. Joe Biden is intent on hiding information from the American people, while Pence looks to quickly remedy any potential error in his handling of materials from his vice presidency.
1: The Daily Beast is giving us a democratic narrative for this story. Despite emphatically declaring that he did not possess any classified materials, Mike Pence is now backtracking and handing in materials that he claimed not to possess. Pence sees the severe consequences of mishandling classified documents but now there must be an investigation into the reason he possessed them in the first place. This appears to be a large issue dating to the Trump administration. So I've got this entire box marked Area 51. I don't know what to do.
0: I nah, just toss that out. No, okay. one, no one's interested in that. That's fine. <laughs> the DOJ sues Google over ad dominance. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Reuters, CNBC, CNET. Breitbart, The New York Post, and Forbes. The U.S. Department of Justice on Tuesday filed a lawsuit against Alphabet subsidiary Google, alleging the company abuses its dominance in the digital advertising sphere and asking the court to force it to sell its ad manager suite. In its second antitrust lawsuit against Google, the first filed during the Trump administration regarding alleged monopolistic search engine practices, The DOJ has been joined by eight states, including Google's home state of California. Texas has filed a separate ad business suit against the company. The complaint argues Google has corrupted legitimate competition in the ad tech industry by inserting itself into all aspects of the digital ad marketplace. It continues, saying it used its dominance to funnel more transactions to its own ad tech products where it extracts inflated fees. The DOJ further asserts that Google has unlawfully monopolized the ad market through acquiring competitors, including its 2008 acquisition of the ad server DoubleClick and subsequent rollout of its technology to bid for ads on webpages. Roughly 80% of Google's revenue comes from digital ads, with the company expected to generate $73.8 billion this year. However, its portion of the digital ad market has reportedly shrunk, from 36.7% in 2016 to 28.8% last year, with Google arguing it does face competitors such as Facebook, AT&T, and Comcast. Alongside this lawsuit, Google will simultaneously face the suit filed by Texas, the Trump-era suit set to go to trial in September, and another suit filed by 36 states last July, alleging it broke antitrust law regarding purchases on its
1: Play Store app. Thank you for the facts, Scott, and Establishment Critical Narrative is our first spin for this story, and it's coming from Tech Radar. Though Google will not point to recent economic slumps and downsizing as proof of innocence, the company's monopolistic practices began over a decade ago. Google eliminates competition through acquisitions and subsequently forces advertisers to pay more creators to make less, all while boosting its profits year over year the government has ignored this growing monopoly for years and should finally break its stranglehold on the digital ad market. And Yahoo Finance
0: brings us the pro-establishment narrative. While prosecutors may be able to point to certain questionable business practices used by Google, trying to break the company up through antitrust legislation is a dead end. It will be almost impossible to prove a monopoly similar to what happened to Microsoft years ago when the DOJ sued them for antitrust violations the government should demand changes to particular business practices rather than trying to take down the world's most popular search engine. This happened to at AT&T too, right? Wasn't, wasn't, weren't they in control of like every telephone and they had to break it all up?
1: Yeah, pretty much. I don't know though, man. I'm really enjoying my Google dish soap and my Google steering wheel cover. <laughs> if they could loop up with Amazon, they could advertise the products and then sell them to us. That would be a monopoly. <laughs> Absolutely. We continue our coverage of the Ukraine conflict as we look at day 335 with a string of sackings and resignations amid Ukraine corruption allegations. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Associated Press, Guardian, Kyiv Independent, MSN and Pravda. With Tuesday marking 11 months since the start of the Russia-Ukraine conflict, the Ukrainian government has been shaken by a series of corruption allegations that have led to the firings and resignations of a number of officials. As reported earlier in the week, the first to go was Ukraine's Deputy Minister for Community Development, Vasil lozenensky who was detained and dismissed from his post over the weekend for allegedly stealing $400,000 in funds intended for purchasing aid, including generators. On Monday, Ukraine's Deputy Prosecutor General. Oliski Simonenko resigned after the newspaper Ukraine's Kapravda revealed that he had taken a vacation to Spain in a luxury car owned by Grigory Koslowski, a businessman accused of tax evasion and mass production of cigarettes for the black market. Under Ukraine's martial law, men aged 18 to 60 were not permitted to leave the country. He was followed by Deputy Defense Minister Vyacheslav Shepalovov who resigned Tuesday after the Ukrainian newspaper ZNUA reported that the country's defense ministry had purchased food for its armed forces at prices two to three times higher than their equivalents in Kiev supermarkets. The defense ministry labeled the allegations unsubstantiated, but thanked Shipolov, who'd been in charge of procurement, for taking the fall. The deputy head of Ukraine's presidential office, Krylo Timoshenko, also resigned Tuesday he was under investigation relating to his personal use of luxury cars, as well as his alleged involvement in an embezzlement scheme worth $7 million from humanitarian aid that had been earmarked for the region of Zaporizhia. Later in the day, it was confirmed that the head of social policy, Vitali Muzicinka, and two deputy ministers for community were also dismissed from their roles. So too were governors from Kiev, Sumy, Kherson, Dnipropetrovsk, and Zaporizhia. Meanwhile, on the ground, with the brunt of the fighting continuing in Donetsk, Ukrainian officials reported that three civilians were killed and three others were injured in the region over the past day. Pro-Russia officials reported that five civilians were injured in Ukrainian attacks on Donetsk over the same time period. Thank you for those facts, Eric. The BBC brings us Narrative A.
0: Ukraine has a long history of corruption evident in the fact that it came out 122nd out of 180 countries in Transparency International's 2021 rankings of corrupt states. However, the European Union has emphasized that cleaning up corruption is a key stipulation if Ukraine wants to join the bloc. Zelensky is taking effective action to meet that demand with a view to fostering closer ties with the rest of Europe and protecting Ukraine's political and military security. Narrative
1: B coming from Politico. Kyiv has been keen to show the European Union that it's been rooting out corruption in the country. However, today's developments will strike severe blows to Ukraine's reputation among EU officials. The perception of Kyiv's commitment to the application process, along with those of Ukraine's overall EU aspirations in general, have been damaged by these reports. And we have a nerd
0: narrative from Metaculus. This one says there's a 1% chance that Ukraine will join the European Union before 2024. France repatriates 47 nationals from Syrian camps. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Middle East I, DW, France 24, Relief Web, and Al Jazeera. France has repatriated 47 women and children from prison camps in northeast Syria, where families with suspected ties to the Islamic State Group, or IS, are held. Fifteen women and 32 children were repatriated. The French foreign minister says that the repatriated adults were handed over to the competent judicial authorities and that the children were delivered to child assistance services and will undergo appropriate medical and social monitoring. This is France's third large-scale repatriation, with previous ones taking place in October, when France repatriated 15 women and 40 children, and in July when 16 women and 35 children were returned. When IS was territorially defeated, many of the family members of IS fighters ended up in refugee camps. The transfer of these foreign detainees and their family members has become a highly controversial issue, with the U.S.-backed Syrian Democratic Forces issuing a statement that it may soon be forced to abandon the camps. The women and children repatriated on Tuesday were living in the Raj camp in northeast Syria, which is under Kurdish control. The total number of four nationals repatriated since 2019 is about 1,530 women and children.
1: Scott, thanks for the facts of that story. We look at the two spins that have been generated, beginning with an establishment-critical narrative coming from Al Jazeera. France is not doing enough to repatriate its citizens languishing in refugee camps in Syria. France is violating the U.N. Convention Against Torture by refusing to help these women and children suffering from violence and poverty. By being deliberately slow in repatriating its citizens, Paris is condemning thousands of children to a life of trauma and violence, which will only deepen their extremist beliefs.
0: And the pro establishment narrative comes from the Lowy Institute. The repatriated families of IS fighters pose both a physical and ideological threat to the nations they are returned to. While children can be rehabilitated, the women who intentionally brought or raised families in the Islamic State should be held accountable for their actions by the nations of origin and charged with terrorism or other related offenses. While
1: repatriation should happen, this shouldn't be done hastily. News coming from Burkina Faso as Junta ends military pact with France. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Al Jazeera, France 24, Voices of America, CNN, Financial Times, and Bloomberg. Burkina Faso's government has decided to end a military pact that allowed French troops to fight armed groups in the West African country. As spokesperson stated on Monday, he stated that the military junta and the nation want to be the main actors to take back territory occupied by Islamist militants, and that the termination of military cooperation, which was part of the original terms of the collaboration with the French, does not damage diplomatic relations. This comes after France's President Emmanuel Macron on Sunday demanded clarifications from the Faso transitional president, Ibrahim Trore, in the wake of initial reports over a potential request for a French withdrawal. State news outlet AIB reported on Saturday that the Junta had denounced the agreement on January 18th, giving France exactly one month to remove its troops from the country, according to the terms of the 2018 agreement. This is the latest sign of a deteriorating relationship between Burkina Faso and France since Troy took over the country in September. Troy overthrew paul Henry Sandago d'Amiba of the country's military who ousted democratically elected leader roche Kabore eight months prior to that. France currently has 400 special forces stationed in Burkina Faso contributing to counterinsurgency efforts in the region and has recently withdrawn from neighboring Mali as the Russian private-military Wagner Group increases its foothold in West Africa. All right, thanks for that
0: update, Eric. We have an establishment-critical narrative from Al Jazeera. The deteriorating security crisis in West Africa is primarily the result of the West's decade-long political and military interference under the guise of fighting terrorism. There is hope for the region only when it's no longer possible for the West to pursue its geopolitical interests, unchallenged by pretending to help in the Sahel.
1: And the Sofen Center gives us a pro-establishment narrative for this story. Though Western powers can be criticized for their colonial record in West Africa, local authorities must stop blaming the West for today's crises. National leaders must focus on tackling the jihadist insurgency rather than simply use it to justify their undemocratic rule. As Russian actors step up in the region to partner with military juntas, their counterterrorism efforts have proven just as unsuccessful. South Africa hosts the Russian Foreign Minister.
0: Here are the facts as agreed upon by Associated Press, Voice of America, Dispatch Live, BBC News, The Globe and Mail, and The Daily Maverick. On his second Africa trip within six months, Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov on Monday visited South Africa for bilateral talks with his counterpart, Naledi Pandor. While Lavrov welcomed South Africa's neutral stance since the start of the Russia-Ukraine war, Pandor reiterated that Pretoria favors a diplomatic solution to the conflict. Pandor asserted that South Africa will not let the West determine which countries it maintains bilateral relations with. Pandor stated that given recent developments, including the massive transfer of arms to Ukraine, it would be simplistic and infantile to renew Pretoria's original demand that Moscow unilaterally withdraws its forces from Ukraine. At a press conference, Dr. Pandor also defended the South Africa-hosted 10-day naval drills with Russia and China in February, calling them an expression of collaboration between friends worldwide. Both diplomats agreed on the growing importance of the BRICS group of nations, which South Africa currently chairs, with Pandora stating that the bloc of emerging economies should play a greater role in reshaping the global order in light of global geopolitical dynamics. Since the African National Congress was still a liberation movement against white minority rule in the country, South Africa's ruling party has maintained close ties with Moscow and has abstained from voting against Russia on
1: UN resolutions Relating to the Ukraine war. Thank you, Scott. An establishment critical narrative is coming from Daily Maverick. The fact that South Africa maintains and expands its relations with international pariahs such as Russia for nostalgic and ideological reasons could cost the country dearly since it cannot be assumed that the West will continue to stand idly by. The stakes are high. Much of South Africa's investment and trade are with the West, and its military equipment is sourced from there. If South Africa does not change its course and continues to try to play both sides, it risks ending up as a pariah itself.
0: Counter that with this pro-establishment narrative from Kaj News Africa. In criticizing South Africa for its ties with Moscow, the West is once again applying double standards. This is also true of the naval drills with Russia and China, which in no way mean that Pretoria is abandoning its neutral stance amid the Ukraine war. Moreover, it is hypocritical to criticize the drills, but remain silent when Washington demonstrates military power at will. As a sovereign country, South Africa is no longer willing to bow to Western definitions of right and wrong.
1: In our next story, Turkey's Erdogan threatens to block Sweden's NATO bid after Koran burning. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Wall Street Journal, Washington Post, CNBC, BBC News, Guardian, and Al Jazeera. Speaking in televised remarks after a cabinet meeting on Monday, Turkey's President Recep Tayyip Erdogan warned Sweden that it cannot expect his backing to join NATO after a Quran was burnt in Stockholm over the weekend. This comes after protests gathering pro-Curtis groups and anti-Islam activist Rasmus. Paludan took place outside the Turkish embassy in the Swedish capital, with the latter setting fire to a copy of the Islamic Holy Book and and the former waving flags of Kurdish groups that Ankara considers terrorist organizations. Turkey immediately denounced the act, as well as Swedish authorities for allowing the demonstration. The nation had also canceled a visit from Sweden's defense minister that would have facilitated discussion of its NATO membership as Turks rallied in front of the Swedish embassy in Ankara. Saturday's protests in Stockholm had been given prior approval. However, the burning of the book was not anticipated. Sweden's foreign minister, Tobias Bilstrom, argued that the country's comprehensive free speech laws do not imply that the government supported the opinions expressed at the demonstrations. Sweden, along with Finland, applied last year to join NATO, But Ankara has demanded Stockholm, in particular, takes a clearer stance against groups it sees as terrorists before it endorses the application. All 30 member states of the alliance must give approval for NATO membership to be granted. Turkey is, together with Hungary, the only NATO ally not to have ratified Sweden's decision to break their tradition of military non-alignment in response to the Ukraine war. Hungary's parliament is expected to approve the two bids next month. Thanks for that update,
0: Eric. We have an establishment-critical narrative from Daily Sabah. It would be unacceptable for Ankara to give Sweden the thumbs-up to its NATO membership, while Stockholm allows terrorist sympathizers to spout anti-Islam hate speech and blatantly carry out provocations against Turkey and Muslims. Turkey has already made its terms for supporting Swedish entry in the alliance clear. So the nation must decide whether joining the bloc in opposition to Russian aggression is more important than supporting terrorists and Islamophobes.
1: DW gives us a pro-establishment narrative. While the burning of a copy of the Quran is obviously a grossly disrespectful act against Islam, it is not illegal under Swedish law, which values freedom of expression as a fundamental part of democracy. If Turkey bases its decision over Sweden's NATO bid on this disgusting but unrepresentative incident, it will be doing exactly what the minority responsible wanted and giving in to Islamophobic hate.
0: And here comes Metaculus with the nerd narrative. This one says there's a 75% chance that Sweden will join NATO before the year 2024. The U.S. charges an ex-FBI agent with violating Russian sanctions. Here are the facts, as agreed upon by Forbes, CBS News, The Wall Street Journal, and CNN. On Monday, former FBI agent Charles McGonagall pleaded not guilty to charges related to allegedly working with a sanctioned Russian businessman and hiding money he received from a former Albanian intelligence employee while he was at the bureau. Prosecutors allege McGonagall unsuccessfully worked with a law firm to lift sanctions on Russian aluminum magnate Oleg Deripaska. They further add that he and Sergei Shestikov, a former Russian diplomat, then negotiated with Deripaska's agent to proceed without the firm. McGonagall and Shestikov, who became a U.S. citizen and worked as an interpreter for U.S. courts, allegedly worked for Deripaska to investigate an unnamed rival Russian businessman in 2021 in violation of U.S. sanctions. McGonigal is also charged with receiving $225,000 from a former Albanian intelligence officer in return for urging the Albanian prime minister not to issue oil field drilling licenses in Albania to Russian front companies, contracts the intelligence officer reportedly had financial interests in. Both men are charged with violating U.S. sanctions law, conspiring to violate and evade sanctions law, conspiring to commit money laundering and money laundering. Each count carries a maximum 20 years in prison, with Sheskotov also facing five
1: years for lying to the FBI. Three spins have emerged from this story. We begin with a Republican narrative coming from Red State. The irony here is incredible. McGonigal, one of the men in charge of designing the Russia collusion theory against former President Trump, has now been accused of having done the exact thing he falsely claimed Trump did. This illustrates how far the rot has spread among the FBI. And the Democratic narrative comes from Alternet.
0: One rogue agent shouldn't tarnish all the hard work the rest of the Bureau does on a daily basis. The American people can rest assured the FBI is committed to sticking to its processes and dispersing justice equally. The charges against McGonagall are proof that
1: no one is above the law. And our final spin on this story is a narrative C coming from MSN. While these are serious allegations, the trial is in its infancy, and the media needs to be careful not to jump to conclusions. The justice system should be left to render a verdict without interference, and until then, McGonigal should be presumed innocent until proven guilty. In our next story, Microsoft confirms a multi-billion dollar investment in OpenAI. And here are the facts as agreed upon by Microsoft. Bloomberg. Vox, Guardian, CNN, and CNBC. On Monday, Microsoft announced a multi-year, multi-billion dollar investment in ChatGBT maker OpenAI. While Microsoft did not disclose the terms, media reports claim the software giant has infused as much as $10 billion into OpenAI. The intention is to, quote, responsibly advance cutting-edge AI research as a new technology platform, per Satya Nadella, Microsoft's chair and CEO. Microsoft, which invested $1 billion into OpenAI in 2019, is expected to get 75% of OpenAI's profits until it recoups its investment. In a blog post, Microsoft said the investment would include additional supercomputer development and cloud computing support for OpenAI via Microsoft's cloud computing platform. At the same time, the investment could allow Microsoft to incorporate open AI tools like ChatGBT and image generator DALL-E into its flagship applications, such as Word, PowerPoint, and Outlook. The announcement comes just one week after Microsoft announced it would be laying off 10,000 employees throughout 2023 as part of broader cost-cutting measures.
0: All right, thanks for those facts, Eric. We have an establishment critical narrative from Forbes. Tech giants seeking to cash in on the AI gold rush is a worrying trend. Microsoft's multi billion dollar investment signals that users are at a disadvantage if they're not using AI. While ChatGPT certainly acts as a powerful demonstration of what AI can do today, if artificial intelligence begins doing the creative jobs of human beings, it could render millions of jobs
1: useless. Ed Schneider Electric blog is giving us a pro establishment narrative. AI tools will boost human productivity, increasing economic growth and the wages for minimum wage jobs. Many software developers and companies leverage AI-based technologies to boost employee productivity, unlock efficiencies, and increase job satisfaction. Instead of betting against AI technology in fear that it will steal their jobs, businesses and employees must embrace the technology to ensure they remain effective and competitive In their respective fields. Scott, you're real, aren't you? Yeah. Sometimes I wonder. (laughs) Honestly, sometimes I wonder. (laughs) Our
0: final story, COVID unemployment fraud may exceed $60 billion. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Daily Wire, Reason, and The Hill. A new report from the U.S. Government Accountability Office estimates that pandemic unemployment benefits fraud exceeded $60 billion, with $8.5 billion of that amount coming from defrauding the regular unemployment insurance program. The GAO extrapolated a lower bound estimate to assume that 7.6% of all claims are fraudulent, making the $60 billion estimate a conservative one. An earlier report from the GAO said that the improper payment rate may have been 18.9% during the pandemic, meaning the actual amount of fraud could be substantially higher. Congress established four additional new employment insurance programs during the peak of the pandemic to complement the state-administered programs. The federal government paid out more than $878 billion from April 2020 to September 2022 to supplement the state's benefits. This report emerges as the House Oversight Committee, which was recently taken over by Republicans after they won a majority in the November midterms,
1: is planning to hold hearings on the fraud issue beginning February 1st. Two political spins emerging from this story, Scott, beginning with a Democratic narrative coming from CNN. COVID caused a historical upheaval of the U.S. economy, and something needed to be done to support Americans who lost work. The states and Congress did what they could to prevent fraud. But obviously, it was a momentous task. The government has learned how to deal with a situation that will hopefully not come up again. And the Republican narrative comes from the Federalist. Paying people to stay home was
0: always bad policy, but the Democrats couldn't see past the opportunity they had to buy Americans' votes. Now the U.S. will be bearing the costs of all the fraud for decades to come.
1: Thanks for listening to the Improve the News podcast for Wednesday, January 25th, 2023. Each day, we use machine
0: learning to read about 5,000 articles from about 100 newspapers and figure out which ones are about the same stories. For each major story, our editorial team then extracts both the key
1: facts that all articles agree on and the key narratives where the articles differ. For more information on Improve the News, please visit our website, improvethenews.org. You can also download the Improve the News app on the Apple App Store or Google Play. For Scott Wallace, I'm Eric Steiner, inviting you to join us next time on Improve the News.